I tell families, uh, it's not like TV in the movies. I'm Isabel Tom, and this is What's Important to You. What's Important to You is a podcast created by the Montgomery House's Center for Learning that gives intriguing insight on end-of-life topics. Every episode offers a new perspective on some often overlooked topics. If you're curious as to how we name this podcast, visit www.montgomeryhospice.org podcast. It's not uncommon that a child is afraid to visit her doctor, but have you ever considered the fact that a doctor might be afraid to see their patient? One of the most dreaded discussions for physicians is the one related to death and dying. The fear is real. In January 2011, the American Society of Clinical Oncology issued a statement reporting that although patients are owed comprehensive information about their prognosis and treatment options, these conversations occur with less than 40% of patients with advanced cancer. Talking to patients about end-of-life care issues is such a valuable service for seriously ill patients, but the fact is, physicians may be reluctant. So how do you engage in such a difficult conversation? How do you bring up the topic of hospice, end-of-life care, to someone without shattering someone's hopes? Today, we wanted to delve into this difficult question. Confronting a patient or family about hospice care makes you the ultimate bearer of bad news. At least it can seem that way, which is why statistics show that doctors tend to overestimate prognosis or they may avoid talking about end of life and hospice altogether. Why is that such a big problem? Well, for one, when you don't tell families what's really going on, families are shocked, often traumatized by their loved one's death. They didn't expect it. They weren't prepared. They didn't have time to say goodbye. Dr. Shahid Aziz, who is one of Montgomery Hospice's team physicians, wrote an entire book about this topic called Courageous Conversations on Dying. This is what he said about this all. I think he said it really well. So why have these conversations? Because the results of not having a conversation is really not a very pretty scene, all right? What happens? You have unnecessary pain and suffering by patients and families where there has been no conversation. There's overuse of futile treatments when there is no conversation. There's unrealistic hope when there is no conversation. The ethical dilemmas and moral distress is huge when there is no conversation. An increasing conflict with family members and between them and between the medical staff is much, much more when there is no conversation. And of course, there is increased cost of So these are just some of the bad things that happen. So to summarize, when a physician doesn't talk to patients about end of life, does not introduce hospice at the appropriate time, pain, conflict, unrealistic hope, moral distress, all of these things can happen. So in light of today's podcast, I decided to take a trip to visit the medical staff at Riderwood. If you're not familiar with Riderwood, it's a senior living community in Maryland where 2,800 seniors live. The medical staff there have experienced talking to patients about hospice quite regularly. On my visit, I had a chat with Eileen Gemmel, one of their nurse practitioners, Dr. Parkhurst, and Dr. Alexion, and I'm really thankful they let me pick their brains. I first spoke with Eileen because actually, years before even doing this podcast, I remember a nurse mentioned to me that Eileen was really effective in introducing hospice to patients. And as I've researched this topic more, 
I've discovered it takes practice and it's definitely a skill. So Eileen has a lot of experience bringing up the H word to people. So I asked Eileen, why do you think professionals and physicians in particular are so afraid of talking about it? You know, for some people, I think it's hard because they're not really accepting their own mortality. And I feel very comfortable talking about my own mortality with my loved ones. I have a living will, advanced directives, all that stuff. And my kids know exactly what my husband and I want at the end. And so that is one piece of the comfort. Um, I feel it's my responsibility um, as a nurse practitioner to help prepare people for the end. Mm -hmm. So that philosophy makes it easier on me. What makes it hard is when a family member or the person hasn't accepted their own mortality and they somehow don't believe that they're ever going to reach the end or their transition time and they resist that and that makes it difficult. So as Eileen mentioned, she does get resistance. What I was really interested in was finding out what her tips are when these difficult situations arise. Few tricks I've learned are that is a conversation I will only have in those situations where, you know, there's some resistance. I will only have them in person, okay, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, mm-hmm. and um, that just seems to melt away a lot of the barriers. Mm-hmm. So apparently, in person talk is more effective than email, than phone, and yes, don't we know it's more effective than text. The number of miscommunications that occur because we don't see people in person. When I talked to Dr. Parkhurst, another physician at Riderwood, I was really, really curious. Does it get easier with time? When I was young, I used to think, well, you know, it'll be easy. And and I don't, so, but as I've gotten older, I realized, no, it's never easy if you, if you do it right. And, uh, um, and if you care about your patients, but what I found is what is to me 10 times more difficult is seeing a patient struggle through you know radiation treatments and chemotherapy treatments and going back and forth to hospital and oncologist office and, uh, and and they're declining and their quality of life is going downhill and they're not going to be cured. Okay, well it doesn't get easier, but in the long run confronting patients with the truth can prevent pain and suffering for the individual, for the family. Then comes the question, how do you start off this conversation? Like, what exactly do you say? I basically kind of start uh, and I say, you know, even though in many cases I know it, okay, um, give me an update. Tell me your story. How are things going the last few weeks or last couple months? And a lot of times as they talk, you know, they start to tell me, well, you know, I had this treatment, but unfortunately it didn't work. And so then I had this scan and the cancer was now in my liver. And then, and so... I let them talk, and a lot of times I can see they're kind of realizing, like, you know, I'm not doing well. And so that is an easy kind of lead-in than when I, you know, say, well, let's talk about hospice. Um, and I will often ask them, what's your impression of hospice? What do you think hospice is? And um, some of them have a good idea, and some of them are, have, you know, have a lot of the kind of stereotypical views we mentioned earlier. Let's stop right there on stereotypical views. There are so many misconceptions regarding hospice care. 
I've worked at Montgomery Hospice, what, eight years? And it's true. There are many people, even professionals, who have misconceptions about what hospice care really is. Hospice is not just for the last weeks or days. Hospice does allow people to be at home. Those are just some of the misconceptions out there. Back to this whole conversation thing. Introducing hospice is difficult. When Dr. Alexion has to talk to patients, this is one way she does it. We really need to think about, you know, how many times have we been to the hospital? What is my true rehab potential? I mean, we all want to get better, but, you know, let's say we do this. And in four weeks, three weeks, we're no better. What's, what's our plan? Okay, so perhaps one of the greatest barriers for introducing hospice and talking about the end of life is the issue of giving up. And when a doctor introduces hospice, that's often how it may feel for patients and their families. You may have heard it before. A physician tries to communicate honestly with his or her patient what's going on. So they start the conversation off by saying, there's nothing else we can do. And then the physician goes on to introduce hospice. And as a result, people lose hope when they hear the H word. I can understand that. Choosing to admit a loved one onto hospice care is a turning point. It's where you and your family, the patient, come to grips with what is really going on. It's disheartening, heart-dropping, defeating. Yet, what does a doctor or professional say then? As a professional, how can you convey hope to a patient and explain to them that as a provider, you still care, you haven't given up? Some people say, well, I'm just going to give up and die. No, 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 no. And that's a, that's a misnomer that I, I, if they don't say something like that, I say, this is not giving up. This is a different approach to treating your diseases. That's all. We're not giving up. We're still going to manage you. We're still going to make sure that you're comfortable and functional. That's our goal. Um, but we're not going to do it with hospitalizations and multiple tests and seeing specialists and, and playing around with medicines that are not going to help you be comfortable or functional. I tell families, uh, kind of other maybe overused cliches, I said, look, it's, it's not like TV and the movies. You know, having your loved one die is not easy. I kind of, uh, but, you know, again, we're going to do everything possible to minimize pain and suffering. Minimize pain and suffering. I love that because that is what I see the clinical team at Montgomery Hospice do. They literally do everything they can to make a patient comfortable. They gentle the journey. So anyone who visits the doctor knows that you can't have all day with them. Physicians only have on average 14 minutes with each patient. So what's a physician supposed to do when he or she's only got 14 minutes? What do you do with this whole time dilemma? As hard as it is, you, have to, you do have to bring them back. You have to allow for more time. I mean, to me, that means we've not done a good job sending you your options for end-of-life care if we waited till the last minute because, you know, everybody's dying. We're all dying at a rate, you know, so it's, it's, but you can start to tell when you have multiple problems and we're trying things and they're not working. And many times that goes back to, well, how did we do in the last hospital? How about the time before that? This is your second or third rehab. It's taking longer each time. And not that we don't want to give you that chance, but there might come a point where all your effort in the world isn't going to make you better. And it doesn't mean we don't want you to try, but we also have to be realistic. You know, I always, we're hoping for the best, and we're planning for reality. 
you know, mm-hmm. not, I don't say the worst because it's not the worst. I just try to say we're planning for what realistically could happen. Yeah. We're hoping, you know, you get back to your independent living apartment with minimal help. In the event that doesn't happen, what are our options? Sometimes it's the second, third conversation before before they agree. And and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, I've, I've had patients where, um, you know, I, I, I did my best and spent a lot of time and, and thought I was... Uh, really supportive, empathetic, and everything else, and, and, and the family says, thanks, but no thanks. I was like, okay. And I said, well, and if you change your mind, let us know. Um, and some patients, you know, if patients and their families are emphatic, um, we, we will, you know, kind of lay off. We won't keep forcing the yeah. issue. Um, but, you know, if they say, well, we'll think about it, or, you know, what have you, um, and then we'll get back to them depending on time frame and illness. A week later or, or a month later, um, we keep bringing it up. Okay, so this is really important. What do you do if you really believe that a patient can benefit from hospice care, but they just don't want it? Is there a way to magically convince them? If people are not ready for it, I don't really push. Um, if they are aware that their loved one is approaching that very end chapter that's that's what my goal is to make them aware make the experience as easy as it can be so they can say their their goodbyes when the time comes they can prepare themselves emotionally i can tell you i feel kind of heart sick when somebody dies and i haven't had it mm-hmm. um, it gives me peace to prepare people for the end There you have it. The role of a physician or a provider is very difficult. It's challenging, especially when a patient is nearing the end. That conversation is hard, but the goal is that patients are aware of the immense support that Montgomery Hospice can offer. We want people to know that hospice is an option. Many thanks to Montgomery Hospice's team physician, Dr. Aziz, and the Ryder Boyd medical team, specifically Eileen Gemmel, Dr. Parkhurst, and Dr. Alexion for your awesome insights and expertise. What's Important to You is brought to you by Montgomery Hospice, a nonprofit hospice serving residents and families of Montgomery County, Maryland. If you want more information, visit our website at www.montgomeryhospice.org or call 301-921-4400. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with your friends, your families, your neighbors, And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening in today. Join us next time for What's Important to You.